Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello and welcome to the Prep to Pro NBA Draft Podcast. My name is Ben Pfeiffer, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host Max Carlin. Max, how's it going? I'm doing well, Ben. How are you? I'm I'm doing pretty well. And today we have another guest. Um, joining us today is Ignacio Risotto of the Stepian um, at Ireball on Twitter. He is kind of like the go-to guy when it comes to international draft prospects. So we're excited to have him today. Uh, so Ignacio, how's it going? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Thanks for the uh, warm reception and description. I, I don't. I'm not sure I deserve it, but uh, I, I'm hoping to talk about international prospects and have some fun on this podcast. I'd like to take a second to shout out the network that helps distribute our show, Armchair Media. Armchair is a collection of 50-plus podcasts, including ours, trying to localize the sports world a little bit more. We've we've been with them since March and have enjoyed growing our audience with theirs. Starting June 1st, Bet Online will serve as a title sponsor for Armchair as well as our show. This will open up the possibility to develop merchandise lines as well as potentially host live events once we, once we return to a semblance of normalcy. In addition to Bet Online coming aboard, Armchair will now serve as the host network for the world's lar- largest skateboarding podcast, The Nine Club. Hosted by professional skaters Chris Roberts and Kelly Hart, The Nine Club talks every week with the biggest names in skating. They're on social media at The Nine Club. To see more, search Armchair Media wherever you get your pods. Also, check us out on Armchair's website, armchairmedianetwork.com, and their socials at Armchair Media. Armchair Media, those who can do, those who don't can't. Take a seat. Yeah, so. Um, before we, we dive into the, into the international guys, just wanted to, to thank everyone for all the reviews, uh, you left for everyone taking a uh, PD web up on his offer. We really appreciate it. It really does help us, um, you know, get some, get some visibility. Uh, we would very much appreciate if you keep doing that. Um, in addition to PD's, uh, generous offer, if you, uh, leave a five-star review and send me a screenshot, send me a Twitter DM of it, I will give you the synergy profile page for any player you want. I can do college and NBA. Um, so yeah, take me up on that offer. Leave us some five-star reviews. Uh, now let's, let's get into this podcast. Um, so we're not going to talk about Killian Hayes, LaMelo, um, RJ Hampton, or, Denny. Uh, or Denny, because we've, we've talked about all of them in, in pretty good depth, uh, already. Um, and we're going to start with two guys that we actually have talked about a fair amount in Bolmaro, Leandro Bolmaro and Alexei Pokashevsky, because I think that they they represent some interesting questions, but also Ignacio is a guy who focuses on 
international prospects, I think, can offer some insight on the development arc that these guys have shown because I think they're both on on pretty sharp development trajectories. So, um, Ignacio, do you want to start with uh, with Bolmaro and tell us a little bit about uh, the like sort of meteoric rise that he's on as a prospect? Yeah, so I think this two, this two prospects in Bolmaro and uh, Pokushevsky are related in the, uh, in the sense that uh, unlike uh, Killian Hayes and Danny Abdiya and another guy that we're going to talk about later in Theo Maliton, uh neither uh, Bolmaro nor Pokushevsky were uh, considered as draft prospects coming into this year's draft. Um, and in one case I, I understood, which was Bolmaro, I also didn't consider Bolmaro uh, as a draft prospect at the beginning of the year. And in another case, I didn't understand which was Pokushevsky. But for both guys, I think what people might have missed, uh, me included in the case of Bolmaro coming into the season, was how different their roles were in different teams. So um, as you might know, and if you're not familiar with uh, the international junior uh, level of, of competition, um, prospects can play for their national teams in FIBA competitions, such as the under 19 and 17 World Cup and the continental uh, under 18 and under 16 tournaments, uh, such as the, the European under 18 tournament Division A is generally like the best level of competition, um, and but they also play in domestic uh, leagues. They play uh, regional tournaments like the Adidas Next Generation, uh, the Adriatic League uh, Junior Tournament, uh, and they play for obviously their local leagues. This the Spanish Junior League, and in the case of Pakushevsky. Uh, the survey, uh, sorry, the Greek Junior League. So, one thing I've I've noticed about Bolmaro and Pokushevsky are that if you watch their FIBA tape and only their FIBA tape coming up until last year, you would be, um, you know, I don't want to say disappointed, but you wouldn't find really a lot of uh, things to note about either of them. And in the case of Bolmaro is. He played for a really strong Argentinian team with uh, two Division One Power Five NCAA prospects in Francisco Farabello playing for TCU right now, and um, Francisco Cafaro. He's a center for for Virginia, and also a really strong guard in uh, Juan Ignacio Marcos. He's playing for Barcelona right now. So Bolmaro was kind of relegated to that, you know, spot up shooter. Uh, playing the three, playing a lot of the ball. And if you watch that Argentinian team, you were like, okay, this is the fourth uh, best prospect in this team, or at least if he's the best prospect in this team, why isn't he like creating anything off the dribble? Why isn't he looking for his own shot? And why he's relegated to a pull-up, sh- uh, sorry, to a spot-up shooting uh, role? And most of the people maybe didn't watch him, and that's myself included, playing for Barcelona's junior teams where he does so much more. And this year he, you know, 
makes the leap to the senior team, to the first team of Barcelona, plays in the Spanish ACB, plays Euroliga. And, you know, he just shows a lot of things that he didn't really show for Argentina, such as like um, the passing for his size, the ball handling ability, the drive creation. Um, so here it's here it comes the importance of watching prospects not only in FIBA competitions but also for the domestic teams because uh, different teams and different settings and different contexts can tell you so many different things from from a, a single similar or from the same prospect for playing in two different teams and with yeah and that's like and with Pokushevsky. Yeah. It's similar. Um, people who watched Pokushevsky at the Under-17 World Cup back in 2018 in Argentina um, watched just a, a backup center because he played backup for Alexander Langovic uh, and just a lanky seven-footer who came in occasionally, blocked some shots and um, had trouble finishing in the paint and then returned to the bench. But when you watch him play for Olympiacos at the Adidas Next Generation tournament, you saw like a true point center, a guy that could, you know, uh, pick up the ball, run transition, but also run plays in the half court, run pick and roll, really knew how to pass over the top of the defense. And also a, a versatile shooter that can come off screens and, you know, really hit shots over the top of the defense, hit catch and shoot threes. Um, so... And that's, again, the difference between watching a prospect on a certain level of play against watching a prospect in different teams. So I feel like uh, Paul Morrow and uh, Pokushevsky are really similar in that sense, in that trajectory where um, you really need to watch prospects in different settings to get the full picture of what they can be as uh, professional or NBA prospects. Do you put any more or less stock in different settings? Because, I mean, you, you mentioned like ANGT, for example. And I mean, that's like, I think like Amar Silla, that playing alongside Usman Garuba, like that was the one time that I think Silla really looked like a very dominant prospect. And granted, like some of his other contexts, like that uh, his most recent FIBA team was was equally weird in a, in a bad direction. Um but do you do you put any more stock in different levels of competition? Because um, like Bomaro, uh, I think like yeah, the, the he he really sort of like melts away in in the FIBA tape. I mean, like you mentioned, um, uh, Marcos is, is is a good point guard, but by no means like a high level NBA prospect. But then it, it kind of it doesn't you know make sense then that Bomaro goes and in his granted limited minutes with um the uh the the like top club uh with FC Barcelona with the big club uh he he then goes and he is playing an on ball role he is defending point of attack um even though that is the higher level of competition so i mean for for you how do you how do you weight uh these different situations or is it just uh, do, do they receive somewhat equal weight or or is there you know more more uh divergent for you I think it depends on. Um, I do think ANGT in the in this particular case. I do think ANGT is a high level com of competition, 
Um, so I don't really uh, bump down players for performing well in ANGT and not performing well in FIBA. Let's say I see a player performing uh, not well in FIBA, but performing well in like an, I don't know, under 16 Spanish championship. Then I say, okay, this prospect is good in Spain, but not when it comes to playing up a level a level of competition. I in this particular case I do think they are really similar levels of competition. But uh it's not so much of levels of competition but uh, levels of responsibility as you know initiators as self creators or creators for others. Um let let me pull up another prospect that was um touted coming into this season as a you know uh draft prospect and then fell off the radar which was Malcolm Castle right he was he was the third quote unquote third guy for for France behind Kylian Hayes and Theo Maledon in that under 17 world cup and when he had those two creators next to him he could really shine because most teams not named USA or Canada can't really afford to uh, defend three high-level prospects in the perimeter that all measure over 6-4. So um, you saw Castellon in that off-the-ball um, role and making some plays on the ball, and you said, okay, if this guy is a um, primary creator, maybe he can show something extra, right? So he goes this uh, this past year, 2019, to the under-18 European Championships. No Killian Hayes there, no Theo Maledon there. Uh, and you, I expected Castellon to be like, okay, this is my tournament. This is the year before the draft. Um, I'm going to take responsibility of this team and I'm going to you know, really create for myself and for others. And he was still in that same role of deflecting to teammates and, you know, letting younger teammates run the team. And that might be a coach's decision. But if you're the prospect and if you're the go-to guy, you the least you can do is make your shots, make the shots that teammates create for you efficiently. And he didn't. So that, when a player doesn't take that level of responsibility in another let's say lower level of competition uh and he doesn't really perform well in his own limited role then yeah i i go and say okay this uh i got to at least be aware that he didn't perform as as his as what i thought was his full capabilities um, yeah, and I think that that sort of thing does. It, I know we said we weren't going to talk about Denny, but it does map well onto Denny, who who does at lower levels at ANGT and FIBA take on that creator role, and then you see him sort of uh, fade into the background a little bit, playing uh, both at, in the uh, BSL and, and Euro League. He, he plays more of an off ball and connecting role. Um, so I, I mean, I think it is it is worth noting that these guys who even are more role player types do like they, they scale up the usage and stuff like that when they're playing in, in different contexts. And it's just I mean, it's important to be to be aware of 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 
the competition levels they're facing and the different roles that they're asked to to shoulder. Um, ben, did you did you have something to add on that, or do do you want to talk? Should we talk a little bit about? Um, yeah, I was going to say I think. Go ahead, Ben. Yeah, yeah. Um, on tomorrow, I'd say a couple more things. I think um, it's an interesting case because, like, we talk about like Kazalon, who's who's struggled in his role as like the prospect on the team, and we saw that with Pomaro, um at the FIBA tournament with Argentina. But 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 in terms of his of his role with his with his domestic league teams, um, Bomaro did exactly what he needed to do. I mean, Bomaro dominated pretty much in his at least in the games I've seen. He looked he was head and shoulders above other players in terms of prospect status in in the lower Spanish league. And then as we've touched on uh, before, as as Bomaro went up to play with the main Barcelona club, he held his own and he was given actual responsibility by his coaches and actually performed well on both sides of the ball. So I think that's an important context and just another point in favor of looking at um, what kind of roles these guys are playing in their different levels of competition and and, and how they succeed there. And then one more thing, uh, kind of circling back to something we talked about um, on a previous episode about how if Bomaro is relegated to kind of like that spot-up wing player, he's probably not going to succeed. And that's kind of what happened in that FIBA tournament. Besides playing on like a pretty good team, he wasn't given the leash to, to handle the ball and create as much as he did. And there were flashes in that tournament of some impressive passing and driving, but it really just wasn't there consistently. And I'm sure some of that, it, not all of that is a role, but um, a lot of that was certainly that he was relegated to more of an off-ball role. So I think it's it's clear that Bomaro's role is as a point guard or as someone who needs to have the ball to create. Yeah, that, that was all Adam Bomaro. Yeah, I mean, to that point, Ignacio, how much do you read into the role that a guy is assigned at a different level? Like, how much stock do you put in the fact that the Barcelona coaching staff entrusted Bomaro in his limited minutes with playing a creator role? And how much stock do you put in Conversely, to to Denny with Maccabi um, playing a, a reduced role in uh, domestic league play, and then even further reduced when they played a uh, Euroleague. That's a great question, and I, I'm adding one prospect to the list. How much stock are we going to put next year with Usman Garuba uh, going from uh, being the main guy in those Real Madrid junior teams, and generally the main guy too for? Spanish junior teams and how much stock are we going to put into him becoming um, someone who's not going to have the ball in his hands as much as he did at in junior levels and that in offense he's kind of relegated to you know rim running and you know creating opportunities out of offensive rebounds but not a lot of post action in terms of self-creation uh, for Real Madrid senior teams is not something that he's going to going to do a lot in those in those settings so how much stock do, do i put i do think it's natural that as you're going uh, up on levels of competition as your level of competition is improving i do think it's natural that your role uh is reducing so that's why the bomaro thing uh him going uh, up a level of competition and his role actually expanding instead of reducing, I do think it's it's impressive, especially when you're talking about you're not talking about you know some of the prospects we're we're going to discuss here are like 
Euro, Euro Cup uh, level teams. He's playing for Barcelona, which is one of the what top five teams in the world, uh, other than the NBA teams, of course. But he's playing at a top five, top ten team in the world, and his role, uh, even though he's super young, expands from what we've seen from from junior teams. That speaks not only giving credit to uh, the coaching staff who is able to recognize a guy and say, okay, you played as a spot-up shooter for your junior team. I don't care. You can pass the ball. You're going to have the ball in your hands a lot. But also give credit to the um, obvious improvement that Bolmaro went through these past two or three years because they're – There's not only the coaching staff there, but it's also self-improvement and, you know, being able to translate your game no matter what the level of competition is. Yeah, I mean, I think that's something that we've come back to a lot where you're trying to project creation upside for these guys. And, uh, you know, at, at the senior team level, Denny isn't asked to do it. Um, you know, you uh, like Maladon and, and, and Hayes are, I mean... Like, I don't know, Mal Maldon has has his issues. But Bolmaro, I think, is is like definitely an outlier among these guys. And I mean, include Pokashevsky in that um it playing with the, the second division. But uh Bolmaro, I think like getting that creation load definitely is is a point in his favor. Just I think it, it makes him unique relative to some of these other European uh creators. Or I mean he's he he himself is not European, but playing in Europe, uh The, those uh, international creators in this class, I think it does separate him a bit. Um, did you want to talk about the uh, the Dragon Bender comparison for uh, <laughs> Pogoshevsky? Did you want to address that at all? Yeah, yeah, quickly and before, and then we can move on to to other prospects. Um, I do see that the most common comparison for Alex Pogoshevsky is Dragon Bender. I mean, if You compare Alexej Pokusevsky to, to Dragon Bender because he's a lanky seven-footer who can shoot, then and he's from uh, the Balkans, then yeah, fine, go ahead. Uh, that's, that's a good comparison. But I, I do think there are key differences in their games, uh, and which to me are at clear advantages to Pokusevsky uh, when comparing him to Bender. And the main thing is, and this is something I've already mentioned in this conversation, um, Dragonbender could kind of pass the ball. Um, he showed good feel, especially in transition, mainly when he played for uh, those Croatian under-18, under-16 teams. He didn't really have uh, that same responsibility when he was playing um, either at Maccabi or when he was playing for um, Split, was the Croatian team he played for. Um, he never had that responsibility to really, you know, get the ball and even make passes in transition. He was more relegated to as a post-passer. Uh, while with Pokushevsky, um, you saw, you watched the under-18 Serbia team last summer. Uh, if you watched Olympiacos playing Adidas Next Generation Tournament, he at times played as a point center. And the reads he was able to make at that size were uh, just not 
that common for someone at his age and at that size. So that's the key difference to me. Uh, when you talk about Dragon Bender, uh, you talk about someone who showed some relative feel for the game on limited occasions, while with Pokushevsky you have someone who it's more versatile as a passer and just more, um, I don't want to say accomplished, but more consistent in that role in the sense that he was able to play that same role in different contexts and for different teams. Um, so that is one of the things that I wanted to mention as a key difference in the Pokushevsky and Bender uh, comparison. The other is that, and again, in favor of Pokushevsky, I do think that Pokushevsky is more versatile as a jump shooter. Um, Bender was good in um, the most movement shooting I remember Bender doing pre-draft was maybe stepping into a three or maybe, you know, dribbling the ball once to readjust if someone was coming out on a closeout. But I never saw Bender like uh, curling off a screen. Um, come, I never saw Bender coming off a pin down. I never saw Bender um, making defenders pay for going under screens and pulling up from three. Uh, so the versatility in shooting from Pokushevsky to Bender uh, to me, is, I don't want to say worlds apart, but it's a clear advantage for Pokushevsky. Um, and one more thing in favor of Dragon Bender uh, Dragon Bender was 15 pounds heavier coming into their draft <laughs> than Pokushevsky. Yikes. So, so that's, and you know, with Pokushevsky, I said it, I think, in a podcast like a year ago. Um, with Pokushevsky, the ability to gain strength with an NBA conditioning and strength program will be, to me, the key to, you know, that ties it all together because he needs to gain enough strength to at least be a threat driving to the rim and attacking closeouts. Because if not, uh, people are going to, you know, defenders are just going to play the shot, play to defend the jump shot and given drives to the rim as much as he wants because he's not going to be able to finish against uh, a set rim protector and he's going to have trouble finishing even against uh, defenders protecting the rim from the weak side or secondary rim protectors. So that's to me is the key. If he can gain enough strength to be at least a, a passable uh, finisher at the rim, uh, that's going to open up a lot more on his game. Uh, and if he's not able to gain enough strength, then that yeah becomes a definitely definitely a problem for him at the NBA level. I think that a major differentiator between him and Bender also is just approach. I mean, Pokashevsky has his own approach issues, but Bender was so passive and. I, for all his faults, I don't, I don't really think Pokashevsky is passive. I mean, he's de he's definitely lackadaisical at times, but I, I mean, he's a he's a pretty aggressive offensive player. I think. I, I mean, we're going to talk about him later, but I think the guy who who mentality wise and in a scary way compares to Bender, who I think we've talked about this before, uh, is S Bor Borisa Simonich. Uh, he's the one with with the really passive 
uh, approach to the game that's that's pretty concerning to me. Yeah. I was curious what you make of his defense, Ignacio, overall, because he obviously has the stocks, um, which which everyone notes, and he's very instinctual as a rim protector, but like as as Max and I have noticed, and maybe are more worried about than other people. I mean, just the strength we talked about, and he really has some technical issues playing both on and off the ball. So I was just curious what what you made of that of him on that side of the ball. I'm I'm tying both your concepts together, the uh, passiveness and the defense, because to me, Pokushevsky, if he has a passiveness problem, is in his defense, which I think has improved a ton. Um, you watched him two years ago uh, playing ANGT for Olympiacos, and he didn't even try when, when you know, going on a switch. He just, like, let people go by him because he couldn't move his feet. Um, and right now, I think, you know, his teams don't expose him as much as those Olympiacos team, which switch everything and just expose them in the perimeter. Uh, and I think the past few tournaments he played both the domestic league in Greece and uh, the Serbian under-18 tournament, uh, both found a way to keep Pokushevsky in the corner uh, where he's not going to get exploited by bigger rim protectors if you make him play at the five, but also he's not going to get uh, dragged on switches and get exploited by uh, quicker, smaller point guards in the perimeter. So you could use his ability to rotate from the weak side and block shots, which to me is the best thing Pokusevsky has going for him uh, to the NBA. Being able to... Uh, really see what's happening in the perimeter coming from the corner and uh, using his length to protect the rim on a secondary level. Um, so that improvement, not only in, in quote-unquote technique, but mostly in engagement on the defensive end, uh, to me, it's what makes me hopeful for him, at least as a passable NBA defender. Uh, but in terms of technique i don't think he's ever going to be a switch all type of defender like you you don't want him i i don't think you want him i don't think the optimal um uh outcome for pokushevsky will defensively will come from uh being a switch defender uh against point guards you, you so don't do you think he's like pretty strictly a four uh protecting protecting the room from the weak side and uh, like i because i i don't know we we've definitely expre expressed a lot of skepticism of him being a true big man on here like i mean he he gets absolutely bodied by six eight post players in the greek second division and i mean like you've said he's just the the movement on the perimeter is like i mean he's capable of of I mean, he moves fluidly, I guess, but he—he, he, I mean, the actual movement skill is just so poor. Um, so, I mean, do you? What do you think of him positionally then? Yeah, I think his best, uh, his best shot at being a passable NBA defender is at the four because you take advantage of him rotating from the weak weak side and being a like a second level protect rim protector. But also, you don't match him against, um, you know, quicker forwards, which to me, like you said, he's kind of light off his feet. But, you know, having high high hips uh, makes him, like, unable to really 
quickly turn its hips and be able to cover the drive, which to me is the biggest, his biggest problem on the perimeter. Um, so, yeah, I do think that playing as close to the rim as possible but not being a true rim protector is his best shot at being uh, at least a neutral or a slight positive NBA defender. Yeah, I, th I think we're both with you on that. Um, should we should we move on to, um, I think, the other... The one other international international who's I think widely considered a first round prospect in uh, Teo Maladon. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, uh, I mean, Ignacio, do you want to give some some insight on on Teo's uh, development arc from you know pa past years until now? Yeah. So Maladon really came into the spotlight. Um, he had some previous tournaments, but. To me and to most uh, people doing draft coverage, he came into the spotlight in that under-17 World Cup uh, where he played with, like I mentioned, Killian Hayes and Malcolm Castellan in that French team. Um, and coming out of that tournament, a lot of people was um, really uh, high on, on Maledon, even though I thought he didn't have the best tournament, especially from a turnover standpoint. He was really prone to turnovers there. And from a shooting standpoint, I don't have the numbers right now. I could pull him up real quick, but I think he shot 18% from three uh, on a lot of attempts. So I wasn't as high as some people were on Maledon. Some people even really put Maledon over Killian Hayes up until this year, which to me was uh, was something that I didn't understand, but whatever. Then um, the year after that, the 2018-2019 season, uh, Maladon really stepped up and became um, an important piece for Aspel, which is a Eurocode team and a uh, team in the first tier of French basketball. Um, and he became really... a truly a, a a rotation piece he played around 18 minutes a game which is the same uh amount of minutes he's playing this year and he shot the ball really well he wasn't as prone to turnovers as he wasn't in that tournament so me personally i thought that he found his best setting his best context there um and you know I saw the optimism for Maladon. Then this year, and that's we can get into deeper uh, conversation here about Maladon itself and not his uh, arc of development. Um, he, I think the optimism, or from what I'm seeing in you know most boards and and rankings, have uh, has decreased a bit on Maladon, and I think that has to do a bit of a bit with people realizing that he's not so much as a primary creator and he's more of a secondary creator. And also people realizing that maybe his shot is there, but isn't as versatile as to, you know, really create separation and do, um, you know, the most difficult pull-ups that you will like your primary initiator to do. And you try not to compare him to Killian Hayes, but at the same time, they are the main uh, international lead initiators in in this class. So you, 
and they were also teammates, so you kind of, you know, subconsciously are always comparing them. And, you know, if you take the development from Killian Hayes from two years ago where he wasn't able to hit the rim on most of his pull-up attempts to this <laughs> year where he's, you know, doing side steps, doing step backs, creating separation effectively. Um, and you compare him to Maladon, which is he's kind of conservative with his shot selection. He's really cautious. He doesn't really take the mo those like uh, difficult shots. Then you kind of see the difference between Hayes and, and Maladon as, as primary initiators and as guys you want you know, to be your primary self-creators maybe on a team. I'll comment on the shooting quickly because I know, like, basically uh, as long as Maladon's been considered a top prospect, his basically his main selling point has been as this elite shooting prospect, as someone whose free throw percentage has always been really high and his indicators more traditionally have always been really good. But I guess this kind of goes back to what we talked about last week about being less willing to buy those traditional indicators because especially, like, like you said, when you compare it to someone like Hayes who has shown significant improvement in not only like the effectiveness and the efficiency of his shot, but the versatility of his shot, where Maladon, <laughs> Maladon, at least in my viewing, is always like you said, has always been relatively, relatively kind of cookie cutter in his shot selection. Like he was never a difficult pull up guy. Didn't really do anything off movement. Like like even though he's probably going to be a good shooter, like it's certainly like you said, not at primary initiator level. And and, and to Maladon's credit, like he can really pass the ball. I think this season, especially towards the end of the year, he had some really impressive passing games. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, he's like like a good prospect, but one that's not super interesting as like a basic combo guard type. So. There are two sides, I think, to his uh, like fitting into a role nicely with a with a Euro Cup team. Um, on the one hand, like it is good that that an eighteen year old can contribute to a high level of professional basketball. Um, but on the other hand, I, I do think that it like, it speaks to kind of how limited he is as a creator. Um, the fact that, I mean, he just is constantly playing draped in defenders that he, he works himself into danger, into like precarious spots because he, he really like, he just kills his dribble really often. And, and just like, he doesn't have the space creation on the ball, uh, for himself and he's not an anticipatory passer. And like there, there are, I think interesting unique uh like differentiating aspects to him like i think he does have have some like plus flexibility it definitely has creative um deliveries on his passes but on the whole i mean it's not good to be in these disadvantage disadvantageous positions in the first place and he he finds himself in them all the time because he just he doesn't think the game at that level and he doesn't have that level of handle or or um explosiveness so I, I just I think that there really are two sides to this whole fitting into a role thing for him. And if you're drafting him in the twenties, I think that's a really good thing because he's a you know third a third guard, a combo guard. But um, you know, if, if if his stock were still surefire lottery, that would be a big problem because I, I don't think he has that sort of creator equity. Yeah, I really think you both like made a lot of great points and my next point about his passing you know just getting into his passing was going to be he plays 
what I like about Maledon is that he plays in control a lot. You don't see him playing too sped up. You don't see him making those sort of mistakes where his mind is going faster than his body and he loses the ball or makes a, a dumb pass or whatever. So he's super controlled, super poised in traffic. But I don't know if that's out of choice or if that's out of not really being quick enough to go by his men, not really being able to have an explosive handle, not being able to have that shiftiness in mid-drives. So, um, you know, I do think that his best trade is a result of his limitations. And, you know, I, I watch a lot of those, you know, drives Maledon does, which are generally assisted by screens because I don't think he's that explosive to blow by guys with his first step. Um, or if he doesn't, you know, going back to his drives, the best thing about Maledon as a drive creator might be his deceptiveness, his use of bump fakes, his footwork, but not someone who's going to uh, go by defenders out of sheer explosiveness or quickness. So I watch him a lot operating in traffic and his passes, his kickout passes, are, aren't really that reactive or instinctive, are more, and I see this a lot in games, and it, it, it's kind of a pet peeve of mine because it drives me nuts to see him pick up his dribble and take maybe a second, second and a half, scan the court and make a pass. And, you know, that at a EuroCup level, that might result in an assist. In an NBA level, that's a turnover. That's, you know, getting picked off of the ball and getting two points against you because the whole team is running back in transition. So um, I, so with the passing from Maledon, again, it's the same thing we talk about is shot. Maybe the numbers are there, but it's the versatility there. Uh, is the versa he's he versatile as a passer without being able to create advantages, uh, without being assisted by screens, and is the passing there without him being able to really react off the live dribble? Um, I will be positive in one thing with Maledon, and is that he seems to be a really adept finisher at the rim, uh, not at the rim itself, but in terms of floaters and difficult finishes from mid-post and beyond. So I do think that he has some scoring gravity for him. But if, like you guys have been saying, if you want him to be your primary creator and you're drafting him to be your primary creator, then I don't really think any team is going to be happy about that decision. Yeah, yeah I, I think so. Go ahead, Ben. Just quickly, I mean, some of the most vivid first impressions I have of Maladon, building off of what you said, Ignacio, were just some ridiculous, like, contested finishes over, like, the likes of Jalen Suggs and the really good defenders of the USA. I think he had one where, like, it was probably an accident, but it was, like, a behind-his-back finish. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I remember that one. Yeah. yeah I, I, mean, I mean, at the time, like, I remember noting that as, like, like like being positive on this guy has a great touch and like you said he really is able to 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 shield the ball using his body 
and using pace and using hesitation to to, to get shots off. But like you said, um, I, I I do think it's like a, the point you made that I haven't thought of. That's really interesting. That basically all of Maladon's strengths um, are because of his weaknesses, and I mean because I mean he's had to become. A, a competent difficult shot finisher because he can't get easy shots and that's just not gonna fly in the nba i mean maybe I'll, maybe as like a bench combo like uh, against weaker defenses like s- s- some of that craft is going to be applicable but yeah i mean it's just a, a difficult sell for him even as like a backup point guard because i just i worry a lot about against like more aggressive and more athletic defenses how he how he's gonna cope so yeah, I mean the thing that I find so frustrating about him is that is like yeah, how the the strengths and weaknesses play together because it's like because he has to take the time to read the floor and is not a proactive passer, he can't make use of the fact that like physically he can throw live dribble passes with both hands, but he just can't mentally. So he needs to he needs to like on every pick and roll come to a stop and pivot for 2 seconds before he throws a pass. And so it's just wasting that this guy can actually throw live dribble passes with both hands because he he you know can't do it mentally and and in the NBA that's just not going to fly. Yeah, he's versatile to deliver but he's not versatile to read. Exactly. So that that that's still missing a key part of the puzzle in terms of passing. So Mm-hmm. Um, should we move on now to uh, to Abdullah Ndoye? I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Like that that ben, came up you, well. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> ben, Ben, you want to you want to give make the case for him because I was texting you uh, a couple nights ago and asking why you liked him. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah, I like Ndoye quite a bit. Um, just uh, six six foot seven, like kind of a point guard at kind of a point guard at Cholet, even though he's not going to be a point guard at the NBA level. Um, like, I'll say offensively, like, the passing is, is is pretty impressive for a guy at his size. He's a really good laydown passer. Um, runs a lot of pick and roll for Cholet, even though I think that probably ends up um, his passing becomes most tenable as, like, an off-the-catch, off-movement kind of passer, which I think, like, he showed some of in certain games that – where maybe teams trapped him more. I, the, the one I watched today against uh, Limoges, I believe, where he was, just, he just got trapped on every pick and roll, and he struggled a lot there. But he was able to make still make plays on like laying the ball down, at, um, attacking closeouts and attacking off the catch. Um, he's kind of a like like offensively, like as a scorer. That's probably my biggest issue with him is he's really just he's not dynamic as a scorer. But I will say his floater game is is really impressive. He has like like, like again, it, it's hard to like measure touch and like his runner sample like seems to be pretty decent in the games I watch. He he's pretty consistently making difficult runners, and he's a good foul drawer, um, pretty crafty, which is backed up by his free throw rate, which is pretty good. I mean, this year it, this year it was uh, 0.45, which is pretty good. And then defensively, um, on defense he's really long. I think he has a seven two wingspan, and that length shows up. Um, on on the defensive end, he's not like crazy instinctual, and he's a little bit stiff uh, to my eye. But he like, he, but he's not like he's not like Pauli Bua, like we'll talk about later in, in terms of defensive recognition. Like he certainly like is like aware enough, but like, like certainly not special in, in that area. But yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm not like crazy like like Lotto high on Indoy or anything. Um, 
but I, I just buy him as like a wing, as like a, like a really toolsy guy, his size who like unlike like some other players like actually does know how to play it seems and has that passing which seems like a skill that could be used in at, at, when he gets to the NBA level. So. So he shot 26 out of 58 on runners this year, which is like high volume and, and very good efficiency. Uh, and he does have really good touch on those. The concerning thing to me is, is I mean, it's similar to the Maladon thing. Why is he taking so many runners? Yeah, um, he doesn't get out of the room very often. Yeah, he oh. doesn't get all the way. Exactly. exactly. That, so that's the thing that's, that's concerning to me, definitely as like a guard type in, in this role like you were talking about. And that's why, I, I mean, I don't think his projection is as a guard. Um, and just as like a complimentary wing, then I don't know, like he, to have his frame at his age is definitely like, he's, he's a very skinny guy and, and he's auto eligible this year, right? He's 22. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so he, he's, he's auto eligible and still pretty underdeveloped. Um, I just, I don't, I don't like the way that he moves. It's not like necessarily slow, but I was, I was consulting with our, our buddy Polar and and he was talking about how because his calves are so skinny, he think that he thinks it produces like some wobble. Um, and he just I think that makes sense. Like he doesn't he doesn't look sturdy when he's moving. Like it yeah. it looks like like he like he is um you know kind of flimsy physically, which I mean he is. Um, but yeah, I mean he he's definitely got it seems the skills for a complimentary wing. Like like you said, the passing is pretty good. Uh, it seems like uh, you guys, I, I, I haven't seen that much, so I didn't see that many jumpers, but definitely look pretty good as a, as a spot up shooter. Um, defensively, I, I like his length, his, his fight, I think across multiple positions is good, was pretty active as a communicator and switcher, um, in their scheme. Uh, so he, he does, I think, tick a lot of the boxes for like a complimentary wing, but I, I worry a lot about his body at his age. Yeah, and I won't say I'm in on him as like a like someone who's like going to contribute maybe even right away. I just think he's like like certainly a bet that I'd be willing to make as a stash guy in the second round, just like based on his skills and tools. But Ignacio, I mean, you want to settle the divide here? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm just like like what's your stance on Endoy relative to ours or whatever? Look, I do I do think that my first thing is that in. This year, everyone's saying I, I don't really watch American prospects a lot, but I probably shouldn't say this, but I, I, I'm 100% I'm devoted to international uh, prospect watching, but everyone says it's a weak draft, right? So if you have a six foot seven guy with a seven foot two wingspan who has some at least minimal, but it's there, the initiator upside is there. I probably secondary initiator upside but if you have a six foot seven guy with initiator upside you have to make that bet in the second round uh at least uh i um even though there might be guys who can be safer in the second round uh i i do think it's a it's an interesting bet to make what i think about ndoi is that and max made a great point about if he's already 22, how much is he going to develop his body? And the the lack of strength in the lower body, especially the legs, that's something that it's really hard to gain. Because, you know, a lot of prospects gain strength in the upper body coming into an NBA training. And, you know, strength in the upper body is not 
something that you know worries me a lot about younger prospects but lower body strength is really hard to gain and also at that age it's even harder so and and lower body strength is important because uh strengthening in his legs um he has long legs i really love the long strides he takes going into the rim but how much power is he going to be able to gain from those strides and how much not only to jump and get to the rim but also to push defenders and create space in the way and create fouls in 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 that way um so and also defensively like when he's at the four he can get really pushed around inside so that's something that that concerns me but it's just physical i guess so again six foot seven initiator upside you take him in the second round one thing one quick thing before we move on to the next guy is that even though he shot 43 percent from three this year which it's crazy uh he did it on only 1.6 attempts per 36 minutes uh and this is the first season he shot somewhat decently from the free throw line so if like you're listening to us and you go and look up uh, uh, uh and say wow he shot 43 percent from three yeah that's not how it works the the low volume of of his shots uh and he shoots kind of like a big man he has like this release from above his head, which I don't know how uh, mechanically how good that is. I I don't really personally I don't like it. Uh, and he takes a he takes his time to get his shot off. So I don't know how translatable that is given the statistical indicators, his low volume, and his uh, mechanics to the NBA. And if he doesn't shoot then he becomes a more complicated player to really have on an NBA floor, I guess. I'll say one last thing um, that I think that upper lower body strength disparity, like like you talked about, is already noticeable in his game. I mean, like you said, especially uh, like when he is asked to defend the post. And I mean, defending the post isn't like a bankable skill or one that's necessarily important for him, but like it, it's evident that he gets pushed around and he gets thrown back into the basket very often. I think that that's indicative of, of his lack of core and, and lower body strength. But on the other side of that coin, I think he is like, he is more functionally strong in the upper body. Like the, the, definitely his lower body as like someone who can really lower his shoulder and get into guys and, and draw contact. But yeah, I mean, and just like the last thing, like, although I am like positive on him um, as a prospect, I think there's a real chance he, he never works out, especially if the shot doesn't come around, then his chances of being a tenable NBA player are a lot lower. But but again, someone I'm interested on betting on in the second round. The way I see it, we could go one of two ways here. We could either go with the like more creator guy or the uh, more of the complementary wing um, archetype. Uh, I guess let's... Let's jump around. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring Alexa Radinov up now. Oh wow! Um, oh. Because I think like <laughs> on on the idea of of like as a creator gamble, I don't think Radinov has like primary creator uh, equity, but I don't think that that Indoy has that either. Um, but as as a secondary guy, I think that he he shows more um, 
more driving craft and that he's able he radinov gets low he um he lever he uses his body to create leverage in a way that that someone is as weak as Ndoy can't um i think that he he appears more impressive to me as a passer but i don't know ben maybe you disagree with that you've, you've yeah, seen a I bit would more pretty strongly disagree with that actually okay but i also haven't seen as much radinov as as you have recently but mm-hmm. i would uh, like in, in the games i've seen radinov like like made some impressive kickouts and like like there was one or two pick and roll reason i remember but uh, i mean i think Indoy is, is is pretty clearly ahead of him like functionally and just talented but yeah, I mean, if if you feel that strongly about it, then there, there you you may well be right about that. Because I, I mean, I, I watched a couple Indoy games for this, I but I I haven't seen that much of him. Um, but Radinov, just as a guy who I think has has a better body, um, is I mean, probably probably more explosive. I mean, definitely definitely shiftier. Um, but just as a guy who I think has a little bit more of that secondary creator equity, uh. Probably behind Indoy as a shooter, however. Um, although Radinov, we, we've talked about him before, um, definitely took a statistical step forward as a shooter this year from the line and from three. However, uh, has has some mechanical issues. Definitely needs to to get some more knee bend. Um, just like he 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 uh, misses front rim a lot of shots. Um, but I think that that as like a secondary creator type guy who you just you know wait and see how he develops. Uh, internationally, as a as a as a stash type, I think I I prefer Radinov, not by like a huge amount. I think I've got them like back to back or something in my ranks right now. But um, I don't know. I I I don't know how you feel about that comparison, but but that's where I'm at for sure. Um, I'll say I'm less optimistic on Radinov than you are. I mean, he's definitely a capable um like driver, and he's like a pretty technically good driver. And and like you said, he uses rescreens. He's like like his screen manipulation for a guy at his like at his size. He's I mean, he's not point guard. He's not in Doi. He's not as big as in Doi, but he's not small either. Um, is definitely an impressive skill. But I mean, just like I think, I think just like not being as toolsy as in Doi and being further behind as a jump shooter and also someone who's going to have questions with his ability to really like get all the way like to the rim and finish in the NBA because he's certainly like a, a talented driver and with FMP um in the Adriatic I believe it like it does work against a lot of those teams but I have a lot of skepticism about how that burst and that and his like his overall strength and his and his definite definite deficiencies as a vertical athlete i mean he really struggles to get up at the rim i have a lot of worries about him again like i don't dislike radinov but like i'm not as excited about him he's gonna be someone like i'll rank because i do think he's quite good and i think i mean like max said like there is some good things he does as as a creator but i'm less i I, i'm less sold on him as like a real nba prospect i haven't i haven't watched Radinov in a while, so let I'm going by memory here. So you guys correct me if I'm wrong. But the difference I see between those two is that I do feel like Radinov is more like an open court in terms of initiation, right? I do feel like Radinov is more like an open court initiator, someone who can make a driving kick, and but but I feel Endoy is more like fluid to keep his trivial life against pressure, like you said, Ben. Uh, and just someone who has, to me, a bit more creating advantages than Radinov, which is, to me, more of an opportunistic passer. I don't know if you would agree with that because I'm going by memory and maybe Radinov took a, 
took a step forward as an, an, an initiator this year. But going from memory, that to me is the difference between those two. And why would I would pick um, Doi even if it's not by a huge margin? And what I'll say to that point is I think like the way they're used in their offenses could have kind of a point of that. I mean, like, yeah. like you said, I, I feel like Radnov, most of his offenses comes from like straight high pick and rolls. But but in Doyle, like like most of his pick and rolls come with some sort of pre-screen movement. And often he's like used on, on curls and things where maybe it looks nicer for him because he's in less precarious situations where he doesn't have to make as intense mental decisions. But I mean, I generally agree and... I think, like, like I'd also pick Doyle, but I think Radinov, like, I mean, again, he's a, he's a solid prospect. So, I mean, something else uh, you have to say, Max. And so, yeah, I was just, I was just gonna say, I think Doyle shoulders a heavier half court on ball role, but uh, Radinov play, plays on the ball in the half court. I mean, this year at least. That, that yeah. all I've seen is is from this year, but he he played a, a pretty heavy on ball uh, role in the half court. This is Ben coming from post-production again. Uh, for the second straight week, we decided to split this episode into two parts for length purposes. People seem to like the one that we did last week with PD in terms of splitting into two. So that's the thing we're probably going to continue to do going forward with these monster episodes. Um, once again, I want to thank Ignacio for coming on. He He's awesome to talk to, really, really knowledgeable. So you should go follow him at Airball on Twitter at E-Y-R-E-B-A-L-L. Um, has stuff on the Stepien posts, really awesome draft uh, international content. You can follow the podcast at prep number two pro pod. Follow me at Ben underscore Pfeiffer underscore. Follow Max at Max A. Carlin. And yeah, part two of our discussion with Ignacio on international prospects will be coming Wednesday once again. So we'll see you later and have a nice day.